Blog Talk Radio. Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, June the 19th. And as we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Virgin Agenda. Lots of China today. China is in the news, more reasons than one. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. China, of course, the Secretary of State uh, just visited China. I think he's there today, actually, uh, as we speak. We are now in the second week of the indictment. And we're finding some interesting news coming out that a couple of polls are actually saying that majorities of Americans believe that this is uh, that this is political. And President Obama and Senator Scott had a, a difference of opinion, I guess we can call it that, uh, during the week. And there was another deadly weekend in Chicago. What else? Uh, what else can we say about that? So let me say uh, hello to our friend Bill Katz. How are you, Bill? Bill, I cannot hear you. I don't know what the the problem is. If you're having a an issue on your side of the on your side of the connection, but I cannot uh, I cannot hear you. I don't know what the uh, what the problem is. I I cannot hear you. So if you wouldn't mind uh, checking uh, or dialing again, dialing again, and see if I can if maybe we've got a problem on on this end. Uh, but if you could dial again, I would appreciate that very much. There. He is. He's coming in. There you are, Bill. I think this yep. one's going to work. I, I'm yes. sorry the other one did not work. Uh, sorry about that. I have no that. idea what happened. I, I don't I know. I you know, when I see one, 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 I know it's you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, I, I use uh, the Skype service, and I could not for some reason. I heard you perfectly well. So I, I went to my ordinary cell phone. My modest cell phone, and that, when we're back on the air. Well, I thank you so much for that. And uh, yes, every, every once in a while, you have to go back to the modest uh, phone, you know, <laughs> because the right. technology just doesn't work. Well, Bill, welcome. It's great to have you. How is everything in New York? Well, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a strange thing. It looks nice outside, yeah. but it, uh, it looks it, look, it looks. I'm sure it looked nice outside the day before the Depression hit in 1929. <laughs> uh, New York, you know, what's interesting, isn't it, is that we're now having a kind of national discussion on the Internet about the condition of our cities. Uh, you see many articles now that don't limit themselves to one city, but will deal with a number of cities that are in decline. And I think one of the most fascinating things is you, the phrase you hear over and over again is, we can't figure out a way back, or there doesn't seem to be a route back. I think we talked about this a little bit last week, where uh, some hotel chain leaving uh, San Francisco, one of their executives said, we can't figure out a way back right. in the city. And you hear this. People have almost given up on our large cities, 
you see a tremendous uh, t- change in in, uh, uh, in uh, location. People are moving like crazy all over the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, many are leaving New York. New York is, I think, the largest out-migration state, followed by California. Uh, Florida is the largest in-migration state. And it's the old story. People are voting with their feet. And they're not that's right. Going, that's right. And they're not going to blue states. No, and, and, and that's unfortunate because uh, the blue states have done this to themselves, really. There, there's no um, – I don't know of anybody who would rather live in, in, in a Texas summer than a California summer. I mean, the summer yes. out there is beautiful, but I mean, people, you're right. They're voting with their, they're voting with their, with their feet. Interesting. Now there is a little connection to that uh, that I wanted to bring up. And by the way, we'll be talking a lot about China today. So, I hope you're ready for that because China is really in the news. But before we get to China, I um, today the governor of Texas signed into law something that is a brand new law that is going to hold the the DAs accountable when they don't follow the law in other words when they invent their own laws like and which is i think the the decline of many of these cities like you mentioned uh, San Francisco New York Baltimore you can name them all <clears throat> the decline is completely related to the fact that they're not enforcing laws i mean criminals are running free and people are afraid to go out there that's absolutely true. I was just reading an article about Mr. Bragg here in Manhattan, who indicted uh, 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 former President Trump a few weeks ago, and uh, and is now uh, trying to uh, put into prison a hero in New York, who possibly saved the lives of many people on a subway train by taking down a perpetrator who was threatening them. And the perpetrator eventually died, which is unfortunate. But, you know, when you commit a crime uh, and you threaten people and threaten their lives, sometimes bad things happen to you. Uh, And it's exactly as you say. It's a refusal to enforce the law based on a philosophy that the law is corrupt, that the real victims are not the the innocent people. uh, The real victims are the criminals. They, They were treated badly. Society did not... Uh, treat them kindly. Uh, they needed help, and they they didn't get the help. And I and this kind of thing has spread. It has spread in part because of the financial <clears throat> generosity of a man named George Soros, whose son has just taken over his empire. By the way, uh, the the and the and the son is said to be even more political than the father. The latest on George Soros is that he is putting a fortune into Northern Virginia to make certain that they have a district attorney who is woke. And he might very well succeed because money talks in politics. Well, it certainly buys a lot of radio ads and TV ads oh, yes. money, no sure. question about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that that's at the heart of the problem, where, where you're not enforcing laws, where you have DAs like Mr. Bragg in New York City, who seems more interested in going after this young man in the subway or President Trump than he is in protecting your streets, and yes. and I just uh, I mean uh, and and I so yes I mean people are talking about the cities. I hope we have a big conversation about the cities. And speaking of that, the mayor of Miami uh, just jumped jumped into the race. I don't think he has a chance of winning the nomination, but I hope that in some of the debates or as part of his campaign that he talks about cities. We haven't had. To my knowledge, John Lindsay may have been the last mayor who ever ran for president, Bill. 
You know more yes. about it than I do. I remember John Lindsay back in, what was it, 72 or 76? 60, 60s, yeah. Yeah, or 68 or whatever it was when he ran for president. And, uh, you know, he was supposed to be the spokesman for the cities. I love to see this fellow Suarez at least talk a little bit about the cities and, and maybe talk about why people are going from blue to red, Bill. Well, that, I think I'd like to hear him too, Mayor Suarez. And uh, he is also, by the way, we should point out a Republican, a very That's unusual correct. for the mayor, mayor of a large city. I, You know, we're going to have the first debate uh, in August. Sadly, we have a situation that we had in 2016, and that is the stage is going to be filled with candidates, and they're going to be dividing the anti-Trump vote. And it is possible that the same thing will happen this year that happened, uh, or, or next year actually, that happened in 2016, and that is that Trump will slip, slip right in without really much of a debate with an individual or with a couple of individuals because there are just so many candidates up there. that we, I, I do think they have some rules this year regarding who will be invited to the second debate. and I think you have to have a certain percentage of the polls or what have you, but they have got to get these debates into a situation where there are only three or four people on the stage and, and not uh, 20 because right. people can't follow 20 candidates. So well, the last had, time they had two debates, remember how they used to have two all-star games? They had, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. They had you know, the 6 p.m. debate and then the 9 p.m. debate, if you remember that. Yes. That's and they had definitely. that, which I thought was pretty silly, actually. It was silly. I mean, it was just, it was just an exercise uh, in satisfying every little faction of the party. But you can't do that. This is a, a, the most unusual election campaign, I think, in, in memory. I mean, I, I wrote this in Urgent Agenda that you have a situation with an obviously impaired president, and I don't think anyone denies that anymore. I think even his, his supporters say, well, you know, there's a problem. And then you have an, a, an opposing candidate, Mr. Trump, who is under indictment. We've never had that before. No. And we may have to, we may have to add some debates. We may have to change some of the ways that the campaign is, is covered. But we are also, obviously, as a nation, in great trouble if, that's, if this is the best we can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that 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 feeling is also spreading. So goodness sakes, we have 330 million people in America, and this is the best we can do. Uh, right. The, no, the I think you're right. Party, yeah, the Republican Party has a very deep bench, uh, very deep. They have so many good people. I was listening last night to Governor Youngkin of Virginia. What a yes. guy. Well, what he a great is good. He's good. Make. And the Democratic Party has nobody. Really, just literally nobody. The man being spoken about, uh, Gavin Newsom, is probably the worst governor in America. I mean, his state is is in a state of collapse. People are leaving by the hundreds of thousands. And he, if if, uh, uh, the president does not run or can't run, he is considered the front runner. I mean, whatever happened to the Democratic Party? Well, you're right, and and of course the tradition was that if the president didn't run, then the vice president, you know, you remember one time we were talking about Johnson in 68 when he couldn't run or didn't run or chose not to run, I guess. Uh, Humphrey immediately stepped up and said, I'm running, ended up being the nominee. So uh, here nobody's talking about Kamala Harris, and that is another you know, if you're asking yourself what's happened to the Democrat Party, I mean, all you have to do is Kamala Harris. Look at her. 
And because she, I think right. she is uh, exhibit A in many ways of of what is wrong with a party. Bill, you mentioned a lot of things are wrong. A lot of things are in tr- we're in trouble as a nation. And I would like to begin with China because China's in the news big time right now. China, the Secretary of State just went to China. He may still be there for all. I, yeah, I'm not sure if he's already back, but he's there. He's back. He's back. He's back. Okay, well, that was a quick trip. I mean, when people go to China, they usually take a couple of weeks, don't they? Yes, well, there used to be be a a popular song in the 1950s, I'm going to get you on a slow boat to China. Now they have fast planes, and the planes are just as fast coming back. He was only there for a brief period. Uh, and and he apparently did not really gain anything. You know, no. they always put out these statements after a meeting. We had a useful exchange uh, or a, um, uh, a a meeting that brings us closer. All these little cliches. There's a reality. China is an enemy nation, and we don't want to recognize it because That's there right. are too many people involved financially, including the president of the United States and his family, and nobody wants to bring that up. Uh, I, I don't know if we've had a situation like this before. We did have, before the Second World War, a very strong involvement of the United States with the German economy. No question about that. We can now name the companies that had no problem at all dealing with the Nazis. And, and But it wasn't the kind of relationship we have today. China today is an economy, is a giant economy, challenging our economy for world supremacy. And we... We treat them not as uh, as a, a hostile nation, but as part of our economic scheme, and it's failing because they're getting all the benefits. Right, and it, it isn't just big companies. I mean, you have a bunch of companies uh, manufacturing over there. I mean, it seems like everything you buy says made made in in China, from a uh, a shirt to uh, a computer and everything else. But in this trip to China, the Secretary of State said a couple of things that were very interesting. Now, he said, for example, that we don't support the independence of Taiwan. Uh, I don't know if that's a shock. Has that always been our policy, Bill, that we don't support the... I remember the you know when Nixon was there and then Carter, when he established relations, that we always had this ambiguity, as they like to call it. They like to call it. Yes. You know, saying, well, we weren't 100 percent, but but if you tell the Taiwanese people that you don't support their independence, uh, they might get a little scared, Bill, especially when they may be invaded soon. That's true. Now, remember, at one time, we considered, in terms of our foreign policy, Taiwan to be China, that we believed that that was the legitimate government of China. And it was Nixon who opened up China to the United States, strangely, a hardline anti-communist. Uh, and we then began to recognize the government in Beijing as the legitimate government of China. And our attitude toward Taiwan, I mean, we, we no longer had a, an ambassador there. Uh, our attitude toward Taiwan is, well, we don't necessarily represent, uh, consider them uh, independent, but we don't think there has, should, should be any change in the status quo. It is, it is an ambiguous relationship, but however, with an understanding that the foreign policy of the United States is to defend uh, Taiwanese independence, whether we regard it as China or not. And uh, that, I think, is something that 
either isn't emphasized enough by the administration or the administration kind of privately disagrees with that but can't do anything about it because politically Congress will not let the American president drop Taiwan. We still regard Taiwan as a friend uh, and a friend that is to a degree dependent on the United States. And that, of course, is where the clash comes. The, the Chinese don't want us involved with Taiwan. They, want to, they believe that that is their business because they see Taiwan as part of China. And there, there is always the possibility that, that with all the ambiguity uh, and with American weakness being displayed all over the world, that the Chinese may take a military action to take Taiwan. That right. is a nightmare. Well, it is. It is a nightmare. And I, I know that that it's been that way for a while, but I'm just saying from this, from this, from a psychological standpoint, if you're telling the American people that we don't care about Taiwan independence, basically saying, you know, we're not promoting it, we're not in it, we're not defending it, and then at the same time you're saying we're going to defend Taiwan against China, you know, I don't know, I think a lot of Americans may listen to that and say, what the heck are we defending them for? I'm not saying that the administration is, is uh, interpreting interpreting things incorrectly. I'm just talking about the message, Bill, if it was a good idea for the Secretary of State to say that, since only a few months ago the President of the United States came out and said that we would defend Taiwan. It, it, it can be a little contradictory to the, you know, I guess to, to the average voter, voter bill. Um, very contradictory and very confusing. I'm sure there is within the Democratic Party on its extreme left, uh, a belief that we should simply drop Taiwan. I mean, these are many people don't realize that the left wing of the Democratic Party is a left wing. It's not a liberal wing. It's a left wing. And I don't think they have any problem at all with dropping uh, a Taiwan. And I think there is that influence within the administration. Uh, our policy, though, is that China, that uh, Taiwan should remain independent and that the United States will in some way defend that independence. So there has been no commitment of troops there's been no commitment, really, of weapons. It is not uh, uh, exactly part of American law. But we do support the uh, Taiwanese uh, as a friend of the United States, as a great supplier of electronic uh, uh, parts to the United States, very important, uh, and that we do have naval assets in the area. I think we have a small ground force on Taiwan. And that may be put there as what they call a tripwire, where in order to invade Taiwan, China would have to attack American troops. I, I, I'm not absolutely sure how many there are. There may be two training elements. But the, the question is, what would we do if they attacked in force? And that's not an easy question, no matter what is said. If we have to, uh, to commit American military elements in a wartime scenario, uh, the president would have to go to Congress. He, he could do it. He could do it for a while without Congress, but under the War Powers Act, he'd have to go to Congress within a specified period of time and get permission. I suspect he would get the permission, but then we're involved in another war. Right. Well, it would be a very heated debate. I'll tell you that right now in the Congress. The oh, one yeah. thing, the one thing, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I'm just thinking more of, of the message and the way it's being distributed. Uh, the information is being distributed here in the United States, where you have the Secretary of State goes to China and then he says, "We're not really, you know, we're we're not really interested in Taiwan independence, but at the same time, stay away or otherwise we're going to have a war." I don't know. I mean, it, it may be a difficult message for a lot of Americans to understand, 
which is why maybe a speech from the Oval Office, if he could do one, would be very helpful, Bill. I mean, I can imagine, you know, other presidents, you know, and I remember President George W. Bush, uh, you know, whether you agree with Iraq or not, at least he was always talking about it, Bill. He was preparing the country throughout 2002, saying we're going to do this and this is why we're going to do it, this is why we're going to do it. So there was a sense... You kind of knew what was going on as a citizen. And here, I think a lot of Americans don't even know where Taiwan is, Bill. I think that's true. Um, the Taiwan issue has been an issue uh, for many, many years. We go back to the 1960 presidential campaign. The issue there was not so much Taiwan, but two little islands off the coast of China named Timor and Matsu. And they were part really of Taiwan, but they are right on the coast of of China. And the issue was, would the United States defend them if they were invaded by China? And uh, Nixon said they are within the boundaries of freedom and uh, we should defend them. I don't recall what the Democratic position was, but it, it became a substantial issue. But once again, Americans are kind of I think baffled by the discussion, you know, I, I fully agree with you. The president should get on the air from the Oval Office and say, this is why this is important, and this is why we're taking the action we're taking. Because uh, if we have to ha- have troops uh, or, or even air and naval forces supplied in a wartime situation, people are going to get killed, and the American people will want a damn good answer to why we're there. That's right. So, but it, it, it's not just, I mean, it's not that we're just talking about Taiwan, Bill. We're talking about China, you know, in lots of places now. Now China is, 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 is apparently building a, a listening post in Cuba. Maybe it was yes. there before, but now they're, they're taking it to another level. You have China really warming relationships with other Latin American countries. So if we were just talking about China and Taiwan, if that's all we were talking about, it would be perhaps a little bit easier to for the average person to understand. But we're talking here about China and Cuba, China and Venezuela, China and Brazil, and after a while you begin to see a lot of Chinese people, Bill. You sure do, and let's not forget the fact that China is now heavily invested in Africa. And the United States has begun to express its concern. They own mines in Africa that mine materials that we need in our economy. And they, all, and they own elements in South America that we need in our economy. Now, you can only look forward to the possibility where supplies of materials that we need are cut off by the Chinese, perhaps during a wartime or a period of high tension. And so the United States, presumably, according to news reports, is trying to work with Israel, which has an extensive program in China, to try to bring the Chinese, I'm sorry, the uh, African nations back to, uh, to some affiliation with the United States. We've kind of ignored Africa. Uh, and they are drifting and drifting and drifting. And they can drift away just as other countries can drift away. Uh, and we're seeing that around the world. The Chinese are asserting their influence. And also, at the same time they assert their influence, they assert their ability through cash grants to help these countries. And I don't think that these countries uh, have much loyalty to the United States or to the American side. And you can talk about uh, ideology, that we're, you know, we're a free nation and China is not. But it's the old story. Money talks. 
and the Chinese well, are investing right. in yes, the Chinese are investing in these countries. Well, money talks, especially when you don't have any, which That's is right. the case of Cuba. Yes. And many of these countries, I mean, many of these African countries are, a lot of this had to do with the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic, COVID, left a lot of these economies devastated, uh, and they need cash. So here the Chinese show up and say, here, we'll, we'll lend you some cash. And by the way, can we can we uh, use those mines or start, you know, digging up in those mines and we'll pay for everything? So, I mean, the Chinese are, are doing, obviously, they're promoting their interests. And yes. from the Chinese point of view, that's I guess that's what you do. You promote your own interest. But what concerns me is that we're not doing the same thing. And we're watching the Chinese do a lot of things. We, we should be calling these countries and saying, hey, do you really want China? Why don't you have us in there? We can do a lot better. And honestly, I and this is just a personal opinion, I think most countries in Latin America – would rather do business with the United States because at least they know the United States. They've been doing business with us before. Uh, they know that we respect contracts. I don't think the Chinese respect contracts. So, I mean, if, if I'm going to be owing money to somebody, I'd rather owe money to the United States and China, Bill. Well, that's absolutely true. Uh, the, they, you know, there is a resentment. Uh, toward the United States in Latin America, sometimes for good reasons, uh, and uh, and yet at the same time, the the leaders of the South American countries, the Middle uh, American countries, understand the power of the United States and the technology of the United States, and also they've been working with American companies for decades. I mean, countries like Brazil. Uh, Brazil has a very close relationship with American aviation, uh, and Brazil itself has developed a large aviation industry. Sure, they'd rather work with the United States, but when the United States consistently ignores them and, and shows no interest in them uh, and, and, and does not reward democracy in Latin America but in, and then appeases countries like Venezuela with their dictatorships, I, I, if I were a, a Latin American citizen, I'd be awfully confused as to what our policy really is. That's right, and that's and that's what concerns me about the whole China conversation. It's not, it's not just Taiwan here. The China is everywhere. It seems like, and we're nowhere. It seems like, and and that's my concern that the Chinese see weakness or at least a lack of leadership on our side, and they're saying, let's go for it. You know, let's go for for the let's go for it now because we have the opportunity uh, to do it. I mean, the situation in Cuba is. Is frightening because it wouldn't cost the Chinese a lot of money to take over Cuba. I mean, they could turn Cuba into a military base with a rather small investment bill. It's not going it, to. It, it's pretty cheap to do it because all they have to do is guarantee the Cuban government that they'll keep them in power, and that's all that matters, Bill. I think that's very, very true. Now, China itself, we should point out, has economic problems. It's, it's not a perfect situation. Uh, their economy has declined dramatically in growth, which Gordon Chang points out all the time, old friend, uh, and they are not without their, their needs and without their concerns. The United States uh, did clamp down on China last year with some uh, sanctions that uh, did affect their uh, some of their technology, and the Chinese are very angry about it. Uh, but when they get angry, they also take action. They, they try to solve the problem. Our problem here is 
there are too many American companies heavily dependent on China for manufacturing. Uh, countries like Apple Computer very heavily involved. Other countries very uh, other companies very heavily involved, and these companies obviously have clout inside the United States government, and th- th- that is one of the things that is holding back any real serious economic uh, uh, sanctions that we can place on China if we don't like their behavior. Uh, We are now part of their economy, and the the Biden administration is doing absolutely nothing about it. I don't think Joe Joe Biden has ever actually described China as an adversary of the United States. They, They kind of keep it in the middle somewhere. No, no, they, he play, and, and I and one more note here before we take a break. I thought it was very interesting the other day when he was talking about climate change. He blamed the United States when, in fact, oh, if yeah. you want to know if you want to know who's polluting the air, I mean, that's where your Secretary of State just got back from, China, and yet that's he didn't exactly say right. a darn thing. He didn't say a darn thing about China. He could have said, you know, yeah, we've done our share of polluting over the years, but man, those Chinese. Uh, governments have done a heck of a lot more. They're doing a lot more. But he wouldn't even touch that, Bill. I thought that was, uh, you know, that's what led me to think that maybe there's something between China and Biden because he wouldn't even criticize them on something like the environment where there is consensus that China is number one, Bill. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and not only will the president not condemn China, but there are whole elements of American politics that will not condemn China. Once again, we sit in our own the practical effects of the growth of the political left over the years. And, and, and what is so frustrating to me, and I, I think to many people, is that our press will not point it out. They, they, they will not take the step of saying, look, China is not friendly. The administration does not seem to know how to handle China, and we need a new policy. Uh, the most That's right. influential paper, papers in the United States have remained almost silent about it. That's right. Uh, no, you're right. And, and when President Biden uh, basically went after the United States, saying that it was our greed that was doing all of this, I'm saying to myself, I'm watching this and I'm going, my gosh, uh, I never thought that would happen before, where an American president would attack his country like that when China is the one he should be talking to. We're going to take a little break, Bill. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll continue our conversation with Joe Cass. Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, I forgot to say God Save the Queen, or God Bless the oh. Queen. Well, you, you, I, don't, I don't know where you've been, uh, Silvio, but yes. in the week since we were on the, uh, on the air last, apparently we have become loyal citizens of the United Kingdom, because the President of the United States actually ended a speech in Connecticut during the week in which he said, God save the queen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought that maybe I had missed something since uh, I thought maybe, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I thought something had happened that maybe Camilla had become the queen. I, I don't know. You know, crazy things happen in the world, but that is crazy. How do you explain something like that, Bill? The president of the United States saying, I mean, obviously they didn't put that on the script. No, no. Uh, nobody knows. And, of course, once again, with President Biden, the press just looks the other way. I mean, when a man is disimpaired that he blurts things out like that, you know, we can, get the, we can, we can think in our own mind of the old concept of what if he gets a call at 3 o'clock in the morning that we are at war or that there are missiles heading toward the United States or toward a NATO country? When this man is impaired, I, I just what, what, what would he say? What, what if he's having a bad day and he said, well, God save the queen? You know, it's interesting right. when he said, God save the queen. Well, they don't even, Britain doesn't even have a queen anymore. I mean, there's, no, there's nobody to save. Uh, they have a king now. Uh, but what what happens at the, in that three o'clock call? It is amazing to me that in a nation of 330 million people, we have to put up with a candidate who is and and an, an, an incumbent who is so obviously impaired. Now the right. answer that comes back is, well, do you have a letter from a doctor saying that? I don't need a letter from a doctor. I need a television screen to see what this man is like, and he has his good moments, but he has his very bad moments. We can't afford this. There, there right. should be some formal procedure in, in the future to avoid the situation. But he is exercising his right to run again, and uh, there is no one actively running against him, even though it is quite obvious that some Democrats would, li- would like to. Uh, again, a very unique situation. I don't recall a situation like this, certainly in recent American history, but you would never know that listening to some of the woke television news operations or radio operations or reading some of the woke papers. You would just think that he is a, an American president who is being treated unfairly by some elements who brought up minor incidents. Those are not minor incidents. Those are major incidents. And That's I right. Well, know. you know, Bill, I'd, yeah, be, I'd be worried about you said 3 a.m. And that was, of course, a classic uh, radio commercial or commercial from I think it was 2008 yes. that the Hillary Clinton campaign ran against Barack Obama and then John McCain also ran him against uh, Barack Obama in the presidential but at this point you know and I it, it doesn't give me any satisfaction to say what I'm about to say but at this point I'd be worried about him getting the call anytime in the 24-hour yes. cycle because you know I'm not sure you know, yes, you know, we traditionally think of a person sleeping at three o'clock in the morning, but I'm not sure he, he would be able to handle this at any time, Bill. I mean, it scares me to think that, but I hope they have some kind of a plan in place where, you know, if they cannot wake him up, that they've got something in place, Bill. Well, that, you know, that's the point, and that, that raises an even more profound issue. Who is really in charge of our foreign policy? You know, if if they had to correct him at the point where a call comes in and comes in and other people have to handle it, who is running things? Who do they go to for guidance? They go to the vice president. Vice president is clearly unqualified to be president, or do they go to the man who many people suspect is really running our foreign policy, and that is Barack Obama and his people, 
uh, in Washington. But it is it is a question we shouldn't, as a nation, have to ask. If this right. were a, a parliamentary system, as in Europe, uh, and something like this came up, there would be in the parliament of that country what we've seen so many times, a vote of confidence. And the pr- prime minister of the country would have to win the vote of confidence to stay in office. If he did not win, he would be forced to resign. We don't have any such situation here. I don't know if we need one or should have one. I'm moving toward the position that we do need something like that because it can happen, and it is happening before our eyes right now. We forget that President Biden, whether he runs again or wins the election, will still be president in, uh, in 2025. In January of 2025 is when the administration actually changes. That is a long time from now, and he's deteriorating constantly. What well, do we it's do? 20 months. He's got 20 months left, I think. 19 yeah. or 20 months left as president, and his condition uh, to be charitable is probably not going to get better. Uh, That's it, exactly it, what know, everybody says, yeah. Yeah, normally uh, we all know from family members that when they get into this uh, track, it it may stabilize, but it doesn't get better. And often, and often gets worse. Uh, well, you mentioned President Obama, and I just wanted to to bring this up, Bill, because President Obama criticized Senator Scott. I don't think he actually criticized him by name, but Senator Scott no. did reply. But he talked about black Republicans, and you know, I, I am so tired of Obama trying to, to to sound smart. You know what I mean? When he thinks he's the most <laughs> intelligent human being who ever walked the earth that everything he says is supposed to be profound wisdom. And, you know, he should just do what other presidents do. It's just stay quiet, Bill. Well, I think you're absolutely right. He he broke precedent when he left office. The usual precedent is the pre, that the president of the United States who was leaving office leaves, period. And he doesn't stay in Washington. Uh, he doesn't have a home in Washington. He goes to wherever he came from as President Truman did when he said after uh, he left office in uh, 1953, he took a train, ironically, back to Missouri, took his luggage, as he said, and put it up in the uh, attic, and that was it. Uh, and th- this man, though, hung around. He had, The first thing he did was he established a residency in Washington, basically saying to the American people, I'm not leaving. He now has, at the end of the, his period since Leaving the White House, he, he now has acquired three mansions, uh, all of them in the multi-million dollar range, which I think itself is offensive to the American people. But he knows that no reporter is going to come up to him and say, Mr. President, aren't you concerned about the appearances of this? Because he doesn't have appearances. He's Barack. He's above it. That's right. And he's true. Yeah, I mean, and there's no – you're right. Nobody, nobody questions this. I mean, people are talking about how Joe Biden got so rich. I kind of like to know – how a guy like Obama can buy these mansions. I guess he wrote some books. Okay. He wrote some books. Oh, he but... has television deals. He has television deals. Oh, okay. Yes, and, and, the, and, and he, but the book deals are unbelievably large. And we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. Well, okay. Then I guess, you know, he's enjoying the capitalist system. I wish yeah. he, would let, he would let others enjoy it too because, you know, he's uh, he, he's kind of a – you know, maybe kind of a left-of-center kind of guy. I mean, it's capitalism for him, I guess, and socialism for the rest of us, Bill. Well, but that's, uh... that's always the way it is. 
Yes. Isn't that true? In the old Soviet Union, the, the, the Communist Party was a separate class, and they got the best housing and the, the best of whatever, I guess, cars they had. But it is always that way, that in the, in the socialist countries, there is a class that's above the people. And uh, we're supposed to accept it on the grounds that, well, they are running things, uh, and therefore they deserve a little bit better life than the rest of we peasants. And I think that is one of the ways in which socialism dies. People look at it and they say, wait a minute, this isn't what we were sold. Uh, you know, we've got the guy who runs the party, and he lives in a big house up in Scarsdale somewhere, and, and the rest of us live in, in, the, in the tenements. But, right. but it's, it, it is an amazing thing with him. And here again, I, I think it's a recurring theme in all the things that I've said and, and written over the last 10 years or so, that at the end, the fault lies with the American press. The press was, was, is established in America really as a watchdog over the powers that be. But we now have a press that is involved positively with the powers that be and serves as their protector, which is exactly the opposite of what the press is supposed to do. But look at the way they protect, uh, I mean, not just Barack Obama, but Michelle Obama. Look at all these nasty articles about Mrs. DeSantis. I mean, look, oh, whether yes. he's the next president or not, I mean, what are we doing writing articles about a, a, the first lady of Florida? I mean, I mean, it's that's just right. crazy that they would even be going there, but I guess that's what they do. But what bothers me most about Barack Obama is that he keeps pushing this message of victimhood. And I love I love the fact that Senator Scott got up and and fought back. I think that's great, uh, Bill. I agree with you, and I I think that he fought back with great dignity. I'm a, very much a Scott supporter. I think that if there the field was smaller, he would be the obvious candidate for, not only for president but for vice president on a Republican ticket. Um, he um, uh, he handles himself very well, very diplomatic, and I think he answered Obama. Very well. I mean, that they're trying to convince the public that Scott is the exception, you know, that everybody else is oppressed except Tim Scott. And I don't think they're getting very far. But another one who is really going after Scott now is this author, uh, the African-American author, Kendi, who began the, the, uh, the uh, movement, the uh, movement for uh, black uh, uh reparations, things of that nature. And he is also saying that he wants to talk to uh, Senator Scott about racism in America. I don't think Scott has offered the invitation yet. I hope he doesn't. But it's this whole nonsense that you must not deviate from the notion that African Americans are victims. My feeling is when you tell people they're victims all their lives, they're going to begin to believe it and they're not going to do anything. And that right. is the great danger. That is the great danger here. What what is happening is a means to control the African American population, which has always been in place, and that is the African American leader. And it's a reflection of the history and the traditions of big city political machines that the people who lead the machine don't want the followers to make too much progress, because if the followers make too much progress, they won't need the leader. And so you right, they'll move out of town. Industry. That's the thing. They'll move Absolutely. out of the neighborhood. That's the other thing. Absolutely. If they have sure. a lot of success, they'll move out, and then they won't have any constituents. Uh, but I, I thought Senator Scott, I'm very impressed with him, too, and I'm glad that he fought President Obama back. I just wish President Obama would, would call President Bush 
and and find out what ex-presidents do, which is nothing. I mean, they just exactly uh, you know what? what I mean, President Bush here a couple of days a week goes over to his library. You know, they have a little gathering with high school kids, and then he'll go to the baseball game, and that's all he does. And when the media tries to ask him a question, he says, I don't do politics anymore. And uh, he moves on. I like that. I think that's the way to I, do I it, agree. Bill. I agree. And all ex-presidents have done that. Even Ronald Reagan, who left office with great warmth by the American people, he went back and he was an ex-president. And he lived on his ranch very nicely. Uh, and, uh, that, and that was it. Um, President Truman set that example. Uh, 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 President Eisenhower, who, who not only had been president of the United States, but had been a five-star general, went back to live in Gettysburg, and occasionally a reporter would call about his views on something, and he gave a kind of general statement, but he knew how to be an ex-president. He did speak at the 1964 Republican Convention, but that was about it. Uh, and, exactly. Um, yes, and yet now we have uh, this fellow uh, who who <laughs> And yes, even President Trump. He's a, he's an ex-president. He decided he wanted to be president again. So <laughs> he went right. Well, back we do live in interesting in. times, to say the least. We live in very Let interesting. Me, I got a couple church. of other topics I want to get to, Bill, because the mm-hmm. time is flying. But you know, the Dodgers. I think that whole thing blew up in their face. You know, with these oh, sisters. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Oh, and sure, yeah. uh, and I guess the, hopefully the lesson that uh, the, the major league teams got out of this is that they're in the business of putting together a baseball team. And when they get out of that business, uh, they're going to find out that some of their customers uh, don't like uh, some of the people they invite to the stadium, Bill. That's exactly right. It was a terrible thing they did. Terrible. Stay out of politics. Nobody wants to see people in sports involved in politics. I have never, never uh, seen anybody turn on a television uh, set to hear the political opinions of the shortstop, you know? I mean, <laughs> That's right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, although it would have been really interesting, Bill, if Casey Stengel had talked about oh, politics. I, that would have or, been a lot Yogi, of fun, I'll say that Yogi much. Or Yogi Berra. Or Yogi, Yogi Berra, yeah. Yogi Berra. But Casey would have been wonderful. I mean, he he, he was a philosopher. He was, they called him the old professor. And I would have loved to hear Casey talk about Taiwan. Well, you know, it's there. It was there yesterday. I think it's still there, and the, my feeling is it should stay there. <laughs> that would have been, right. that that been, been his political statement, you know. Yes. Or the one I love is, uh, I'm paraphrasing this one, but the one I love is when he got fired by the Yankees because he, they told him he was too old, and he said, I'm not making that mistake again. I thought <laughs> <laughs> that was the we other the other great we line. Guys that, like that. Yes, but... Somehow they had the common sense to know that uh, politics was not their calling, that they had no. something else to do. But, uh, but yeah, I think the Dodgers made a huge mistake, and and I think they're paying for it. Oh yeah. But you know, I mean, they're the the local fans. Uh, but it was so obnoxious what they did, Bill. It was so over the top to invite these yes. sisters. I mean that. They, these sisters, I mean, they're actually they're men actually dressed up as nuns, but they don't even represent the homosexual community. I no, mean, they this don't. is what this is what I think is so frustrating that there are serious people out there 
who are you know of, of a certain sexual orientation, and they must be watching this, saying, "What the heck are they doing? They're not speaking for me." Those men dressed up as nuns, or those men walking half naked down the street at the pride parade, Bill. Yeah, well, that's it. And most I know I've known in my career many gay people. I've worked in show business, and they just want to be left alone. Uh, they, 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 they don't want to be out there every day being used as exhibits. Um, and I think that, that what, occasionally it might be a good idea for some of the news reporters to talk to ordinary black, uh, not ordinary black people, but ordinary gay people or even prominent gay people and ask them what they want. And they'll tell you they want equal rights and then to be left alone. And I think that we, one of the problems we have in news reporting nowadays is that reporters don't talk to ordinary people. They want to only talk to people at cocktail parties or to leaders or to the reverend this and the reverend that. Go talk to ordinary people. Go go into black communities and interview black mothers and find out what they want. Not what the local leader wants, but what they want. And that's part of the problem here. It's, it's the, the priorities are distorted. I hope that the not only the Dodgers have learned a lesson from this experience, but other sports teams as well. But we seem to have a problem, from what I understand, that many American corporations are now being infiltrated by the woke crowd and that the woke crowd does have some influence over these uh, corporations. I don't know how it happened. Uh, I don't know why it happened, but it is doing damage whenever it shows its head. And, you know, and, 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 and in terms of sports and entertainment, this part of this uh, originated also in the entertainment industry when actors and actresses believed that the whole world couldn't wait for their political opinions. And um, right. it's like, like remember, people people would turn on these shows just to hear what they had to say about yes. Bush or Reagan or whatever or Trump. I mean, people tune in because they want to see who was who who's the best movie, and now they're expected to hear what somebody thinks about. It's like this uh, lady, uh, this woman at the Tonys or whatever, the, the, where yes. she referred to the governor of Florida as a grand wizard or something. I mean, that is obnoxious. That anybody would say something. That means horrible. Bill, we got a few minutes, and I wanted to get one more topic in, please, uh, before the time runs out. And that is some interesting news that is coming out. We're in week number two of the indictment now. And two different polls, Rasmussen and Harvard-Harris. I'm not sure if that Harvard is the university, but that's the name of the poll, Harvard-Harris. It is. And and, uh, in both cases, they show healthy majorities believe that the indictment was political. Uh, I'm not right. surprised. I'm not surprised because I, I personally think it is political, even though I don't defend what President Trump did. I think there were, it was a better way to fix his problem. But they chose the most political option, and they wonder why people react to it as political, Bill. Well, these are the questions. The, and I'd also add that um, public opinion is very, very interesting this year because you have the public basically saying that uh, that uh, the president of the United States should not run again. The press, the public also saying that uh, Mr. Trump should not run again, and they're both running. Uh, and the, I'm glad to see that the polling, uh, in fact, I discussed this this morning at the blog, that the polling has expanded to include a lot of new questions because of the odd situation. But, yes, it is true. Uh, look, it's hard to believe that the campaign, the legal campaign against President Trump is not political. I mean, notice that all these things that are happening, the indictment in New York, uh, the two indictments in New York, the indictment uh, in, um, 
in uh, uh, Florida that they're all in Georgia. Yeah, the, there's one in Georgia, and then the January the sixth. Yeah, yes. and the the uh, it's hard to believe. I mean, they're all coming during a, a presidential campaign. Why this coincidence of time? All within a few months of each other. You you have to believe that it's politically motivated. Well, of course it is, and I think people are picking up on it. The other thing that was interesting about the Harvard-Harris poll is that people were showing concerns in, in, in the respondents, and they had like 2,300 respondents, so it was a good number. Uh, they were showing concerns about double standard of justice. And I think that more and more what the Obama administration or the past that the Obama administration gave Hillary Clinton is really coming back to bite yes. the Democrats yep. because people look at that and they go, that was outrageous what, how she got a pass. And, I, and it's like, you know, somebody said, okay, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton shouldn't have had some documents. Joe Biden shouldn't have had some documents. Sandy Berger shouldn't have had some documents. Donald Trump shouldn't have had some documents. But the only one going to jail is Trump. People say, wait a minute, that's, that's a problem. That's it. And and the, the line that is that is uh uh going around or at least generally in politics now is nobody is above the law, but the Democrats seem to be a little bit above it. <laughs> a little taller, <laughs> yeah. they're just a little taller. That's right. The Democrats are just a little taller than the Republicans yeah. on, on that issue. But but I think that that's you know, if you're the, the the attorney general. I know that Professor Jonathan Turley was really beating up on the attorney general for just failing to 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 gain confidence for the Department of Justice. And I think the professor is right. They've done this. They've done this wrong in, in every in every step. And this, we would have been a lot better off as a country if they had done a report on the Trump documents, a report on the Biden documents. And then go to the Congress and say, look, guys, there's a lot of confusion here. Why don't you revisit that law that you passed 45 years ago, Bill? Yes. I mean, it's. It, I think the American people are on to something that they probably should have been on to earlier. And that is you always have to be very careful about legal proceedings that are conducted in an election year. You also have to be very careful about groups that make their progress as a result not of, of popular appeal, but on the basis of court decisions. This was the problem with Roe v. Wade, and that, that, that many people just wouldn't acknowledge. And that is people said, you know, this is a complex issue with involving morality, involving religion, involving biology and medical progress. How in the world could it be reduced to a court decision? There was no, you know, there was no debate around Roe. Uh, we were not allowed to debate it because you can't debate it, a court decision until you see it and the decision has been made. And I think there was a lot of resentment that people felt we should be involved as a nation in a debate over this issue. And we're seeing an awful lot of lawyers, an awful lot of lawyers and court cases uh, in this election campaign. And it does make me suspicious because the judiciary seems to be getting a, an inordinate amount of power in the United States that should go to the people. I think that's people right. No, you're exactly that, right about yes. that. You're exactly right, yeah. and I, I just think people are are concerned. They have a right to be concerned. They have a right to be skeptical, and that's what uh, I think these polls are are showing. Well, Bill, I want to thank you as always for your time. 
Thank you for all your input today, including a couple of really good lines that you had today about the Democrats <laughs> just being a little taller. And, yeah, um, a little taller. Yeah. yeah, a little taller. But I want to thank you so much for your time. Keep up the great work at Urgent Agenda. And I've got you booked for next Monday. How's that? That's terrific. We'll, we'll have plenty to talk about. All right. Thank you so much, our good friend uh, Bill Katz, uh, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.